The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Bloody Disgusting and The Rap, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for IGN and other places as well. Also Bloody Disgusting. And uh, nobody gives me a cute nickname. I gave you many cute nicknames. No, none of them is stuck, you really. Nummy Muffin Cocoa Butter? You, you've never called me Nummy Muffin Cool Butter, at least not to my face. I have totally called you Nummy Muffin Cool Butter to your face. Not to my face. Ma- yeah. Maybe in other mixed company. Whitney, yes. get in my face. <laughs> okay, I'm in your face. Nummy Muffin Cool Butter. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. Nummy Muffin Cool Butter. <laughs> this is why our listeners tune in. <laughs> For our oblique yeah. MSDTK references. <laughs> Um, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we're reviewing a sitcom, which we don't do a lot of. And the reason why we don't do a lot of is because a lot of sitcoms are kind of samey. Yeah, that, that multi-camera with a laugh track yeah. s- takes place in a suburban living room Yeah, like, oh, this setup. is a family and they're full of funny people. Like, okay, that's... Where, where well, do we go from there? And, you know, the, I mean, we're looking at, uh, essentially, the children of Lucy. I love Lucy. Well, they're all... Yeah. Well, they're all children of I Love Lucy. Yeah. I, I love Lucy uh, well, they're all children of the honeymooners. Okay, fair. Mm, sure, sure. Yeah, I think honeymooners. Uh, just there, there's first, there's, right? a, there's a few basic templates of the American sitcom that we're just still milking to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a little bit of a breakout in the '90s, and we're gonna in the late '80s and '90s, and we'll talk about that because the one we're talking about came out in the '80s, mm-hmm. right when the sitcom was dead. <laughs> But there was always a twist. It was always, it's a family, but Mr. Belvedere moves in. It's a family, but an elf moves in. It's I love fa- Lucy came first. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, um, I remembered that wrong. Yeah, it, it's a family, but it's a different strokes family. It's a family, but Webster moves in. You know, there was yeah. like... There's always a gag. Yeah, it's a family, but my mother's a car. Um, the joke this time is that it's a family and there are ghosts. Yeah, like like Beetlejuice style. Yeah. They, they used to live in the house that the family moves into, and now they're... Invisible to the family, but living with them. Right, and uh, so, and this came hot on the heels of Beetlejuice. I don't think it had anything to do with. It was probably in like the works, and people already like had the script. But once Beetlejuice was successful, I bet it was easier to get nearly departed sold. Uh, it's possible, although it, it plays these days like a blatant ripoff because well, it's a really similar idea. Well, and they both have a lot of similarities to a classic film called Topper. Well, yeah, which was about a. A couple who died, and then they haunt another guy, and they try to improve his life. Uh, but uh, the really cool thing about this show uh, is that it stars one of the best Monty Python members, by which I mean one, any one, of them. Yeah, one of the best. There's a bad one. Yeah, uh, no, they're all. They're all I mean, no. you, even Carol's a champion. Come on, no, Carol. What do you think? Even Carol. Carol was a god. So oh. the, the she, she does. She doesn't have any writing credit. So mm. she was like unofficial for a long time. Mm-hmm. She's a member of the troupe. I, I mean, think come so. on. 
in any case, uh, it, it stars the great Eric Idle, mm. and it has a really catchy theme song. We think you're going to love it. It's called Nearly Departed. Everyone lately is making me crazy Now that we've joined the deceased There'll be no resting in peace Nearly, nearly departed Stumbling cockeyed The moment that rocks light Came tumbling down on our heads Maybe we're better off dead It's hard to ignore when a family of four is running amok in our home. They're constantly near us, they can't see or hear us, nobody can. Except the old man just pushing up daisies, we're halfway to Hades and halfway to heaven above. The the theme song is clearly written by Eric Idle. It does have a very has, Eric Idle vibe, like, like that sort of old timey uh, sort of vaudeville vibe that he uh, he liked mm-hmm. to write songs about. If you've listened to a lot of Monty Python records, as I have, sure, you get to know who wrote which songs, and you know which ones are Eric's. He did always look on the bright side of life, mm-hmm. which, which has that kind of vibe. I interviewed Eric Idle once. Mm-hmm. I, now you're just bragging. Oh, just I'm about to drop. Oh, oh, you want to hear a great brag? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not normally one to brag, but I'm going to do this just this one time. Uh, this is cool. Yeah. I didn't just interview Eric Idle. I interviewed Eric Idle in the same room as Eddie Izzard. Uh, like Eddie Izzard was in the room watching you? No, or? I interviewed them both together. Oh, cool. That was super fucking cool. And nice. I got to tell Eric Idle, and this is a true story, uh, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, I was, and this is no big brag coming from my high school, I was valedictorian in my high school, so I had to give a speech at graduation. Okay. And I couldn't figure out what to do. I just wanted to give a speech. Mm-hmm. I've been to so many graduations, and my parents are both teachers. <laughs> and I've seen, <laughs> so you go every year. I've seen the best and worst speeches. You've I, One one year I saw uh, someone graduate, she was valedictorian, and she read everyone Dr. Seuss's the places you'll go. All right. Now, Slowly, mm, stopping uh, to show the pictures. Look, here it is. How big was your school? Well, that I, school was huge. Yeah, I was that about was, to say, we went to public schools in Los Angeles. They have thousands of students. Yeah. Yeah, no, that one was interminable. So <laughs> I felt like the, the, the impetus was on me to do something memorable, do something right. cool. You, and You went up naked, didn't you? No, I didn't go up naked, although mm. I was only wearing my robe. No, what I did was... I quickly, and like within one paragraph, segued into Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. Okay. I changed the lyrics a little bit so they were a little less about crucifixion. But like, other than that, Mm. like I did Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. And it was great. People got up and they clapped and everything and it was fun and that was that. And I finally got to tell Eric Idle I did that. Okay. And he was flattered. And Eddie Izzard just made a point that I've remembered ever since. Mm. Not only does everyone love that song, he has called, Eddie Izzard called it, Earth's National Anthem. <laughs> and I really like that. That's really cute. So I'm a huge Ed- Eric Idle fan. Okay. I love And I love finding that there's a sitcom starring Eric Idle that I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Idle is the only python who lives in America, strangely oh, I didn't enough. Know that. E- even Terry Gilliam, who's American, lives in England. Huh. Uh, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I think 
maybe Terry Jones uh, commutes back and forth because I've seen Terry Jones in L.A. Well, alas, Terry Jones has been in ailing health for a long time, so he probably doesn't commute back and forth anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hang in there, Terry Jones. Please. I like, I like you. Um, uh, but yeah, he, he lives in America. He's always been sort of the more showy of of that troupe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you listen to like uh, John Cleese and he's very sort of arrogant. That's his shtick. Not, not as a person, just that's mm. his, his comedy. Um, you listen to Michael Palin, he's very uh, deferential. He's very sort of shy. And Which withdrawn. is also his comedy. It's also his shtick, yeah. As people, they're completely different. Yeah. Um, Graham was just sort of a f- frank asshole. <laughs> and he was almost the straight man, but not really. Uh, yeah. Well, there were, there were no, there's no straight man. Also, well, he's the gay one. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, Eric Idle has sort of a much more demonstrative form of comedy mm-hmm. of, of that troupe. And but you got the impression he would be a vaudevillian like mm, but, 75 years ago. But because he's British to Americans, he sounds kind of arrogant, which means he's going to be playing an arrogant character no matter how you cast him. Right. Which means the character he plays in Nearly Departed is going to be an arrogant dickhead who's very showy. Yeah. But the gag is no one can see what he does because he's a ghost. Except for his wife, Carolyn McWilliams, who, uh, I'm not sure what their relationship really is. Because in one episode they say that till death do us part and they're free to just sort of start flirting with other people. Uh Uh-huh. And they're invisible, so it's meaningless. Yeah, they're just sort of leering at other people. But then in the last episode, they decide to renew their vows. So I guess the arc of this six episode show <laughs> was that uh, it was about a married couple finding themselves again. I guess you could say that. It's mm. kind of sweet when you put it like that. Uh, let's give out some vital stats here. Nearly Departed aired on NBC from April 10th through May 1st, 1989. They only aired <laughs> four weeks. <laughs> yeah, only aired four episodes. There are six overall, and you can find them all online. Uh, it was, it, it aired opposite, I'm sorry, not opposite. It aired right after ALF. And actually, if you look at the ratings, it mm. kept a lot of that audience. I'm actually surprised it got canceled so quickly. Like, it did okay. Uh, like, I it wasn't like a huge dip. I can see ALF fans sticking around to see the ghost sitcom. Yeah, ALF, Alf is already pretty absurd to begin with, mm. so putting it next to ALF makes a lot of sense. Um, Alf, Alf was just outright weird, though. It's like a typical American sitcom and a cat-eating monster. I never got into ALF. Really? I, never, oh, I, I watched a lot of ALF. I got nothing against ALF. I just, for some reason, it never clicked with me. I, I just love the puppet. I was more of a Mork and Mindy fan. Um, oh, you're one of those. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I watched Mork and Mindy, too. Uh, it was created by John Baskin and Robert Schulman. Uh, who wrote for shows like Three's Company and The Jeffersons. They also created a, I think it was a detective show called Crazy Like a Fox. Okay. It lasted a little bit more than one mm-hmm. season. Um, it starred, obviously, Eric Idle as the ghost Grant Pritchard. Uh, it starred Carolyn McWilliams from Benson and the movie Mermaids as his wife, Claire. And then as the human family, because he realized in the show, there are basically two sitcoms going on simultaneously. Mm. There's the ghosts, and then there's the humans who can't see them. So, the human family is uh, led by Stuart Penkin. Stuart Penkin. You know Stuart Penkin. You, he was the dad in Dinosaurs. Oh, was he really? He was yeah. in that suit? Okay. Yeah, he was the dad um, in Dinosaurs. He was the sheriff in Arachnophobia. He was in Striptease. He's just this really mm. solid, reliable character actor. He, pl- he played Detective Putrid in The Silence of the Hams. Cool. I'm not kidding. All right. He I, plays, I'm, I'm going to keep ringing the bell on that damn movie until everybody buys up every last VHS of it. Uh, he plays uh, Mike Dooley, who is uh, the Pritchards, the dead couple. Uh, they were wealthy. They were very, very wealthy, very stuck up. And it turns out everyone in the neighborhood hated them, especially Grant. Uh, when they die in a rock slide, 
uh, their fam- their house is purchased, kind of furnished and all, mm. by this plumber who has who's new money. Yeah, he just just came into his fortune. He's a workaday schlub. This is rich. the first time they've lived in a big house, but they still have blue collar tastes. Yeah, there's an episode is... where they eat sloppy joes and the ghosts are disgusted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his wife is Liz Dooley. She is played by Wendy Shaw, uh, who is a really underappreciated character actor as well. Most notably, she's the voice of the wife Francine in American Dad. That's right. Uh, however, you would also recognize her from a lot of great uh, 80s movies. She's worked with Joe Dante a lot. She was in The Burbs and Inner Space. Okay. Uh, she was in Batteries Not Included. Oh, she, wasn't she one of the, the two like corporate assholes in Inner Space who got like half shrunk at one point? Why is she? I'm trying to remember uh, who she was in that maybe, one. Yeah, I, it's been a while since I've seen Interspace. I remembered her really being. Like I remembered um, her being uh, the woman that Martin Short had a crush on in the supermarket. Oh, okay. So then, yeah. no. What I really remember her as is Bruce Stern's wife in The Burbs. Okay, because they were so mismatched. <laughs> like you had no idea how that courtship happened or why she's really into him because he's like mm. this weird military, you know. Mm. Gun nut freak, and she's just really like bright and chipper, and has, <laughs> I love her so much in that movie. She's hilarious. Um, the son is named Derek. The family is named Dooley. I know a guy named Derek Dooley. It was a little weird. That like, is just weird. just personally, I know a Derek Dooley. Okay, is he? Does he have ghosts? Who knows? I'd have to ask. Uh, Derek Dooley is their teenage son. He's played by Jay Lambert, who doesn't have a lot of credits in IMDb. Looks like he gave up acting after he was a teenager. Uh, But you might recognize him from a stint he did on The Wonder Years. He was also in the movie Pump Up the Volume. Ah, I have, you know what? I haven't seen Pump of the Volume. I actually haven't either. It's one of, one of the larger uh, holes um, in my education. And then uh, lastly, rounding out the main cast, is Grandpa Jack. Uh, he's uh, Liz Dooley's Wendy Shaw's father. Uh, oh, I forgot to write down the actor's name on that one. Oh, uh, um, hold on. He is played Al- by Henderson Forsyth. Henderson Forsyth. Great name. <laughs> uh, he's a character actor who works on everything from... He's on uh, As the World Turns. Of course he was, because yeah. all the great actors are. Uh, he was in Silkwood. He was also in a private detective show with Scott Bakula called Eisenhower and Lutz. <laughs> nice. Scott Bakula, man. God, one of the hardest working men in TV. Bless him. Um oh. Henderson Forsyth was in uh, Species 2. There you go. Like mm. all the best people. He's got a star on the Walk of Fame. He, he, oh, does he really? He was on As the World Turns for like th- over 30 years. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's well known in the soap, soap crowd. He's a complete professional. Um, now the twist is that Grandpa, and we learned this in the first episode, Grandpa can see the ghosts mm-hmm. and communicate with them. And it's never really explained why, just he's old and he's... The, the 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 joke that they make is that he's got one foot in the grave already. Uh, yeah, well, I mean that's just the joke, but that's yeah. also the only way, thing we get in in the way of explanation. Yeah, it's also the only thing we get in the way of any kind of explanation in this show mm-hmm. because the mechanics of the ghost world are never explored. Yeah, you look at Beetlejuice; it's all about that. They go to like offices and take numbers and stuff. There, there's all this expl- there are handbooks and everything, like yeah. what they can and cannot do. These and- things read like stereo and story. Like a, a half of that movie is devoted to the mechanics of the ghost world. That's one of the things that makes it so like interesting and wonderful. Yeah, someone yeah. really thought it out. It's and- like the 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 world of the dead is just this sort of mind numbing bureaucracy, and I think that. But it looks like a Tim Burton movie, so it's really great. There's a scene in Nearly Departed, one of the later episodes, where uh, Grant and Claire are actually like articulating how confused they are about, like, mm. wait a minute, so I, 
why can I not walk through walls? Like I can't mm. do that. Like wh- they, why is that not a thing? They can't. They can't walk through walls, but they're solid. Like they can yeah. touch and pick stuff up really easily. Yeah. And when people are entering the room, they have to put everything down real fast. Otherwise, they'd see like things just sort of floating through the air. So they're corporeal. They have physical presence. Uh huh. And they can bump into stuff. They can bump into people. And yet. Like that's never explored. Like no. maybe maybe they were just an invisibility accident. They have uh, yeah right. They they mention how after they've been dead for a bit now they've never run into any other dead people. Yeah, they're not they're not strapped in their house. They can go out. They and can they go. Do. They can go anywhere. They talk about going on vacation, and yeah. the joke is the last time we got on vacation we died. So I'm staying here. Right, and I get that. That's fine. But again. It's weird that they never run into anybody. And you got to start thinking about, okay, what sort of ghost movies do we know the rules from? The movie Ghost hadn't come out yet, but that had an explanation for that, Mm. which is that most people don't become ghosts. Most people move on to wherever they're going. Mm. And uh, the ghosts that do stick around typically just get kind of ornery and hang out in subways. Yeah. Yeah. Like Vincent Chiavelli. God, Vincent Chiavelli's good in that movie. (laughs) Should have got an Oscar nomination for that movie. He's so good in that movie. He needs a posthumous Oscar. Vincent Chiavelli. (laughs) So damn great in that movie. Um, So yeah, so it's a little confusing. They're not super interested in it. I guess they figured people would be curious Mm. like how the rules work, but they never actually articulate it. I think that was a huge mistake. And I think that's, I think they really should have had like a neighbor ghost or someone who maybe someone who's been dead for longer, or, or just, who can explain the rules to them. Or. I, I understand doing that would be like a little too much more like Beetlejuice, like Juno the caseworker, right. the, the Sylvia Sidney character, who just sort of lays it all out for them. It's like you you have to stay in this house for the next two hundred years, so you might as well live with the families that come and go in this house. Right. It's like okay. Enough, done. But you can't have something just like that in Nearly Departed, no, otherwise it's a little too, bit too much of a rip-off. No, that's why I think you want the annoying neighbor character. The mm. Dooleys don't have an annoying neighbor. It's an annoying ghost neighbor. The annoying ghost neighbor who's, like, next door, and he's got a Ooh, great house, and, and it's, he's been, and like, it's, doing it for a long time, and he sees all the positive stuff in And it's it. a dead celebrity. It takes place in Chicago. Who's a famous dead Chicago guy? Well, fr- from 1989. From 1989. Like, so, like, so, like, damn, I don't know. I don't know Chicago well enough. <laughs> Dead, I'm gonna Google dead Chicago. Dead Chicago. Well, uh, have it be like a famous gangster. There you go, yeah. Al Capone. Al Capone. Al Capone lives Al Capone next door. Al Capone lives next door, and he's a recurring character, and he just says, "Yeah, I've been dead for a little while now. It sucks, but here are the rules." Actually, that'd be really funny. Yeah, so, I'm glad I don't run into any other dead people. I killed so many people. There you go, and he's played by Danny Aiello. Sure. He was not super famous at the time. No, yes, he was. He, he was. was. In the yeah. Never mind. Danny Allo was super famous no, he, at the time. He, he wouldn't have stooped to being in like this little no, NBC no, no, sitcom. I, I apologize. I, I overestimated how late his career got that big boost. <laughs> um, Chaz Palminteri. No, he would have been too young. Mm, if, if, if somebody had discovered Chaz Palminteri in 1989. <laughs> anyway, it could be done. All right. Um, so I think that's it for the vital stats and everything. Let's just, yeah. let's just uh, get right into there. There are only six episodes of this show. Mm. Uh, the first episode that aired... Uh, was Grant meets Grandpa, and basically it's really quite simple. The Pritchards hate the family that lives in their house, and uh, when the Grandpa comes in because he's been kicked out of his house and needs a place to stay, they are very surprised to learn that Grandpa can see them. Uh, they, they they help Grandpa get his driver's license. Yeah, basically they want everyone to move out, and if they can only get one at a time, so be it. So... They're going to help Grandpa move out. In order to move out, he needs to get his driver's license so that he can get his job back. Because mm. he was a delivery driver, I think. Yeah. 
And uh, so he's worried that he won't be able to pass the test, everything from like the eye exam, etc. So the ghosts agree to go to the DMV and help him out. And in the ep- only really funny bit in the episode, like legit, mm-hmm. very funny bit in the pilot episode, um, Eric Idle like walks up like two inches away from like the the, the eye test mm-hmm. and just yells out the numbers, but the, the the grandpa doesn't have like really good hearing. So what he does is he does elaborate mime. To like con- he shapes his body into the alphabet, which is actually like harder than you'd think with a lot of letters. Mm-hmm. And Eric Idle is game. Yeah, he he. I mean, he's a, a talented physical comedian. Very talented. Like, and yeah, and that, yeah. that scene, I don't I don't think I've ever seen him work harder for a bit <laughs> than he does when he's enacting the eye chart. Yeah, you look at him like a lot of his Monty Python stuff. He, he's not the most physical Python. Like like mm. John Cleese ends up doing a lot more weird physical gags, I, I, I think, than Eric Idle does. I didn't say Terry Jones. He did the most pratfalls. He but, did a lot of pratfalls. But I'm thinking of like, look at the silly walk. Oh, well, yeah. Like, Eric Idle didn't have to do a silly walk. Eric Idle just had to sit at a desk and say silly things. Yeah. <laughs> he was enough. Or, or dress in drag, which yeah. he'll do on this series. Oh, we'll by God, he will. All yeah. right. Um, but that's basically it. Grandpa Jack gets his license, but he decides to stay anyway, much to the chagrin of the Dooleys and the Pritchards. Now, it's established early on, and, and in fact, there's a really funny line. I think it's in the second episode, mm. where uh, they can lift things, and Eric Idle says, why don't we just, like, lift the table and drop it and just scare them out, a la Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, and his Caroline Williams says, no, no, don't do that. And Eric Idle says, well, what if I just like start knocking stuff over and throwing stuff out of cabinets? No, no, don't do that. And then he creeps up, and this is the one bit that actually get, got a genuine laugh out of me. How about if I do something very cruel to the boy? <laughs> That's all he says. Like, not what it is. I just want to do something cruel to the boy. Well, there's an episode in the, in the next episode, Adventures in Babysitting, uh... Where uh, Grandpa gets shamed and he's gonna leave the house, and they're all, they're all, there's this gag that works for a second, and then you think about it for two seconds and it falls apart. Hmm. Where it's the middle of the night and the Dooleys are in this giant bed, but they're only on half the bed, and the other yeah. half of the bed is Eric Idle and Carolyn McWilliams. Like they're, and just, they're sharing a bed with the couple, which is kind of funny, but at the same time, why isn't that couple using? More of the bed, and and it's a huge bed. It's yeah, like bigger than a California king. The point the point of having a king size bed is that everyone gets room to kind of splay out. Now, I'm usually like, for whatever reason, I usually hug the side the side of the bed no matter what. Okay, like I'm always like have like an arm dangling off, but my feet are using the rest of it. So <laughs> it's just it, it only works as like a visual gag because ha 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 ha. But then you realize, wait, why? Also, they have physical presence. Wouldn't they see their, their bodies under the blankets? Yeah, breathing and undulating. They're oh. breathing. I don't oh. know why. You're right. I don't think they're dead. I think, I think they're, they're stuck in like some sort of cosmic... It would have been great if... It, yeah, there was a, a, an episode of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation yeah. where Jordy and Ensign Rowe went through some sort of you know, colossal negative space wedgie, uh-huh. and they came out on the other side. There was an explosion in like a Romulan cloaking device, and somehow the cloak got stuck on them. Mm-hmm. So they were walking around the halls of the Enterprise, able to walk through walls and completely invisible. And they, they thought for a second that they were dead. Of course, this is Star Trek, so it's like, no, we're just Romulan cloak. So we have, to, we, we have to use whatever talents we have by, like, putting our hands inside of computers and stuff to manipulate the crew to do stuff for us. Like you do. They just put their um, hands in data. It, it would, yeah, just put, put it in his head. Here, d- here he is, and there we go. Jordy and Nensen Rowe are ghosts now. What? <laughs> data, are you okay? I love that if the twist in Nearly Departed would have been in the, the last episode, it turns out it was some sort of weird science fiction thing mm-hmm. rather than supernatural. 
I think the where, twist where it turns out that they were like yeah, in some sort of like cloaking experiment explosion. I think the twist should have been that Grant, very specifically Grant, was in hell. Oh, there you go. This is his idea of hell. It's having to live with like live, this working live with class blue family. collar Americans. Or at the very least, it's his purgatory, and like this is his opportunity to grow and become a better oh, person so that he can move on. Carol McWilliams, this is probably her idea of heaven. She gets to hang out mm. with Grant. She loves him. Oh. Whatever. But like Eric Idle, this is his purgatory or hell, depending <laughs> on how you want to look at it. Well, one of the lyrics is, we're halfway to hev- Hades and halfway to heaven above. So maybe, maybe. maybe there's a hint for you. That might be. Maybe they're yeah. in purgatory. Anyway. The next episode is Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, the Dooleys are off to the, I think they're going to the opera or the ballet or something fancy. They're, they're going to an opera. They're trying to acquire some culture. This disgusts uh, Grant, who knows they don't have any. Yeah. I don't I don't see why he would reject them trying to get some. Because he's, he's an asshole. Uh, he's an asshole. They, they make it but very they, clear he's an asshole. A uh, teenage boy who's 14 has to stay at home with Grandpa. Grandpa's a gambling addict. He has to run out and go to a poker match because some sucker is there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so, and so Grandpa can't leave the kid alone, so he asks the ghosts to babysit, which admittedly is kind of funny. Well, it's it's kind of funny, and you know what? Sounds if like I a ha- baby Herman short. If I had that power, I'd do it. It's like, okay, he's 14, he's going to think he's alone, but you're going to be watching him, all right? So if he starts to misbehave, yeah. freak him the hell out. Like if he goes to the liquor cabinet, rattle it around a bit or something, yeah. and what the kid does as soon as Grandpa leaves is he invites over a cute girl from school. And they make out. Yeah, it's pretty innocent but he's not supposed to be doing that mm. so eric idle there's this weird bit where uh, eric so idle let, is let's it, hold on a second you have a four, you have a 14 year old son okay it's 14 you know what 14 year old boys are like of course you have to go out yeah is he old enough to go by himself well it depends on the kid are you at peace with the fact that he's inviting girls over for makeouts or boys over no no I'm, I, that's entirely inappropriate you mm. need parental supervision for any time there are any young people in your house regardless of whether or not they're making out okay so no it's entirely inappropriate i'm just i'm just saying the kid isn't like sadistic or twisted no it's like a no, pretty he's, innocent he's, act of rebellion he, he's a, a boring sitcom kid yeah exactly he has, no char- just, he has no character whatsoever i'm just saying i have no like i have no animosity towards him it's okay. a, it's a pretty standard mm. teenage teenage thing to do he should get in trouble for it and mm. grandpa should get in trouble for for leaving him alone no. at least as far as the parents know i get it no, but the, gra- w- the way that the scene plays out though uh is Grandpa asks them both to look after the kid. The actual scene is just Eric Idle looking after the kid. And at yeah. first it's like, fine, because he's not doing anything too, too bad. Mm. Then the girl comes over and Grant's just like, what's this? Mm. And then when they actually start trying to make out, he makes all these distractions and ghost stuff. But he keeps yelling not- to Claire to help him. Where the fuck is Claire? What are you doing up there? <laughs> just getting advice from Al Capone. Is this your time for macrame? Like, why are you like? What, what, I just would. Lo- I would have loved to, even if it was a joke. I wanted an explanation for why Claire wasn't there because I don't get it. <laughs> There's no reason for her not to be. Uh, and the, the wackiness isn't wacky enough. Like you'd think he'd do stuff like knock furniture over or do something like really haunted. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about this show. It's about dead people. It's about ghosts living in a home. There is not any sense of morbidity at all. There's almost Mm -hmm. no gallows humor about them being dead. or Like, they talk occasionally, well, you can visit our bodies. They're rotting in a grave somewhere. And that's about as scary as it gets. Yeah. Well, there's one bit where... um, um uh, at the end of this episode, actually, because hmm. uh, what happens is the parents come home, they see the kids, and they think they're unsupervised, because technically they are. Hmm. And... uh, they get mad. Grandpa Jack comes home. The parents get mad at Grandpa Jack. And Grandpa Jack actually takes it really seriously, feels ashamed, mm. and decides to run away in the middle of the night. And this leads to that scene I was talking about earlier where they're all in bed together and they hear noises rattling downstairs. And Claire's just like, What's that? And Erica was like, Oh, it's probably just a burglar. A burglar? 
It's okay. We're already dead. Yeah. <laughs> what about the Dooleys? You're right. I should show them where the boys where the boys' room is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it, that's a little morbid. Uh-huh. But um, they go downstairs. Grandpa Jack is leaving a note. He's gonna just leave home. He's a burden to the family. They can't trust him. And they end up following him to a bus station, where he is promptly mugged. But he's mugged by a guy. A really polite guy. Yeah, a guy like says, hi, how you doing? He's a little in your face. And then he just sort of takes Grandpa's suitcase. And then proceeds to just hang around. <laughs> Normally, when you steal stuff from away. somebody. Yeah, you don't wait for a cop to show up. And the guy to point at, point at you and says, he has my underwear. Mm. Like, usually you leave. He robs Grandpa. And then just futzes around the bus station in case some ghosts want to exact vengeance upon him. And the only, like, truly ghostly thing that happens is when he's, like, in a phone booth, Eric Idle, like, shuts the door so he can't get out, and then he breathes on the glass and fogs it up. Mm. And rather than write something intimidating, he just does a smiley face. Mm. I don't know why. Written something like, you're next. Yeah, get out, or whatever, like... Or another... Yeah. Sinner! Recent recent horror movie, The Babadook. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, 1989 people were all about The Babadook. Well, we, we were just talking about your next and get out. Well, those are actual things people say. The Babadook isn't a thing people said in horror movies before the Babadook came <laughs> okay, out. Okay, fine. <laughs> wreck my stupid joke. Please. Um, wreck my stupid joke sounds like a terrible reality series I would probably watch. Yeah, it lasted for like half a season on the WB. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the guy gives Grandpa back a suitcase. Grandpa comes back and everything's fine. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's... There's nothing sinister or spooky. I get that they're trying to make death seem kind of chill, which I can actually appreciate as someone who's a bit (laughs) death-phobic. You know, just in general, I'd rather not. But, um, Mm. yeah, no, you're right. It is weird that there's... You know what the show desperately needed right away was a Halloween episode. I don't care if it's April. Just get it out of the way. Done. Mm. Well, what I think it needed is... And and I I alluded to this earlier. What it needed was uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, cynicism. Mm-hmm. I looked up where this sitcom fell, sort of in the the matrix of uh, sitcom evolution. And this was a few years after Married with Children. Mm-hmm. Now, Married with Children was a satire of the you know typical American sitcom. What mm-hmm. if it's you know Ozzy and Harriet, but they're all horrendous, impoverished people? Yeah. They're all, they're, all, they're all sexist, mm. they hate each other, they have no money whatsoever, and that's mm. always a problem. And there was something kind of recognizable about that, but it was also really grotesque. Well, that, a grotesque and that's, show. That, that's the whole point of Married with Children. It was, it was meant to be grotesque. It was meant to be the sort of dark mirror of the, the happy American sitcom that we're used to seeing. So yeah, it was, you know, dad, mom, two kids, suburban home, but yeah, they're all they're all very poor and the joke isn't that they all love each other at the end of the day, the joke is that they all hate each other. Uh and then you started getting into the realm of stuff like Seinfeld and The Simpsons, which were also sending up a lot of that American sitcom wholesomeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think The Simpsons a bit more than Seinfeld. I think Seinfeld so, was yeah. more about 
rejecting structure. Exactly. Like, yeah. The, because we're, we're not going to go at this sitcom with any kind of structure. We're not going to go at this sitcom with a lesson, a moral, or a theme. Or a high concept. Yeah, they, they, even. Even, they even pitched it as, this is the show that's about nothing. That, even that, though, was, that was the idea. Even though the actual idea was, here's how a stand-up comedian gets their material. Uh, it's, the it's, first yeah. like four seasons opens with Jerry doing material, and then we and the, see the, how he got oh, the material. It's about a, the show. Uh, actually, was about something. Well, it's, and it's also about you know the foibles of what life is like when you're kind of a terrible person, yes. because those are all kind of terrible people as well. Yes, the Simpsons. They all love each other at the end of the day, but yeah, this these are sort of like a they're blue collar boobs, mm-hmm. and also um, they're animated. And because they're animated, you can kind of like see a little bit more starkly the workings and how the sausage is made of a sitcom. Yeah. Because you, you can look at that a little bit more objectively. Nearly Departed was clinging on to an old model right as it was falling apart. Yeah. So if you're going to make Nearly Departed in the late 80s, you'll have to have a typical American sitcom that's a little bit exaggerated. Mm. They're a little too wholesome. They're a little too clean. Mm-hmm. And the ghosts are ordinary people who are running color commentary. Basically, that's the thing. And that's one of the things that really frustrates me in this show. And I get it. It's the Mm. structure. It's how you got to do it. But everyone... Again, you're you're watching two sitcoms concurrently. There's Mm. the Dooley Family sitcom, which is boring as fuck. And then there's uh, the Pritchard sitcom, which Mm. is okay. I like it fine. But it's, it's not too much different. No, no, it's not. It's just, it's just whatever. But... In order for those two things to coexist, mm-hmm. the Dooleys have to say things to each other and then have extended pauses where they're just staring at each other in the middle of a conversation so that Eric Idle and Carolyn McWilliams can say stuff mm-hmm. and then their conversation will continue. If you did this like Garfield without Garfield, yeah, you know, like that comic strip where they just remove Garfield from Garfield strips so you just see like, because John can't hear Garfield and it just shows how pathetic and isolated and alone mm. And possibly, you know, mentally ill John is. It's, it's a brilliant idea. It's a great strip. <laughs> it's so damn good. The the inventor of Garfield without Garfield sadly can't claim authorship because he's he's, he's, he's just Garfield. Well, yeah, he's he's just altering existing art. He's not mm. you know. It's still brilliant, but it's the, not. The, the, yeah, the, it's a neat idea, but yeah, like the copyright isn't in his favor. So when he put out a book, it was by Jim Davis with an introduction by the creator. There was a, so he did get credit, but Jim Davis is technically the author of Garfield. Without my other Garfield. favorite one of those. Was was the there was a comic strip called Marmaduke Explained, <laughs> where they just show you a Marmaduke strip and uh, then they try to figure out what the joke is. That's it. Uh-huh. It's they, they don't do they anything. Try to analyze Marmaduke. They just, they just try to figure out what the hell is going on in Marmaduke, and you realize that a lot of Marmaduke oh makes no sense whatsoever. Marmaduke. It's pretty great. Uh, I think I don't Marmaduke think they do it anymore. Is still on, isn't it? Oh yeah, they're, it's they're still all running. Still on, like Family Circus is still on. They're all still on. Oh no, Brand Anderson uh, passed away in 2015. But did they not keep going on with the strip? Uh, Paul Anderson, did. his son, picked up. Uh, yeah, picked it up. So I'm saying it's still going. Yeah, Marmaduke. He was doing Marmaduke from <laughs> like up to 2015. Like long after the golden age of funny papers had passed. Yeah, it's it's a standard. It's a pop yeah. culture standard. What are you going to do? Uh, where was I going with this? You were talking about Garfield. Okay, so like, yeah, so you're watching this and you realize that from the Dooley family's perspective, they have weird cadences in how they talk. Yeah. Long pauses where nothing happens. And what I kind of want to see is this totally meta joke in which we 
set up the premise of Nearly Departed, mm-hmm. where there are like these ghosts and they live in a house and they have their own sitcom. And then there's the humans and they live in the house as well and they have their own sitcom. But mm-hmm. everyone is talking over each other like in an Altman movie all the time. <laughs> like you just you have to really like use like you know like they always say like Superman is super hearing, but he can concentrate and focus on one thing at a time. Uh-huh. That's what you have to do in order to watch Nearly Departed because it's literally just two sitcoms layered on top of each other, mm. and they're all to- constantly talking over each other in every single scene. I think it'd be funny for about a minute, <laughs> but I would love to see it. Um, anyway, the next episode, and here's um, we're gonna go with the original air date order. Uh, the order in which we saw them, which I think they might have been aired, aired this way overseas, put this episode last. Okay. Uh, but the next episode is called Altered States. Altered is spelled with two A's, like mm-hmm. a bridal altar, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, and in this episode, the Dooleys find a box of the Pritchard's old stuff. Well, this was the last episode in the, the way we saw it. Yeah, it was presented to us in, in a different mm-hmm. order. I think, again, I think it might have been aired differently. But in, this was the third one aired on TV and mm-hmm. uh, on NBC. <laughs> And I think you're right. I think it would have been a better send-off to the mm. series. But what are you going to do? In any case, the Dooleys find a box of the Pritchard stuff. And amongst them are items that they're just stupid and don't understand what they are. Like, they think a cricket bat is a weird... A cricket bat is a weird canoe or... Yeah, well, I mean, if you've never seen one, what would you think? I think it's a cricket bat. Well, I, I know what a cricket bat is. Exactly. I, I can't think of a time when I didn't know what a cricket bat was. But Same. maybe that's just me being... Well-educated. A- a- arrogant and, you know... Anyway, wa- um, Watched Monty Python at an early age. Perhaps. Um, but they also, they also find uh, some of uh, Grant's love letters to Claire, mm-hmm. which are a little embarrassing to him, and the family reads them in Snickers, even though she thinks they're really romantic. Mm-hmm. They also find out, uh, in some of those old papers... That Grant's first marriage didn't end officially until a week after he got married to Claire, which means their marriage so, was never legal. And now they're dead and there's not a lot they can do about it. So she's upset and he's like, who cares? We're dead. It was an accident. It was a weird thing of paperwork. It's like they, they stayed together. They, yeah. they lived as a married couple. They, it's not they like, gave vows. They had a wedding. It, so, yeah. it, it, clearly in the eyes of whatever supernatural deity mm. uh, is responsible for weddings... They got married because otherwise they wouldn't necessarily end up together in the afterlife. Right. Also, clearly well, that they, original marriage when he would they, have also vowed, you know, for better or worse, death you part, whatever. That's not honored in the afterlife. I always thought it would be weird, like if you like, you're stuck with your first spouse. Yeah, like imagine like, <laughs> everyone dies and they're stuck with their first spouse, and just Bible's just everyone's like, look, we we were pretty clear in the Bible. It's just one marriage. So death you, you yeah. part. Like, you can you can take it back if you want to, but from a religious well, perspective, you you made the choice. I, um, I, yeah, that's it's a little curious that. There's not a, a divorce ceremony in too many churches. Some churches do have that, oh, uh-huh. where they, they can yeah. sort of desanctify your marriage. Yeah. But, but it's not a, not as common as a wedding. Yeah, and you know, weddings are fun. Well, yeah, weddings are fun. Divorces aren't. <laughs> because cool there were fun divorces, even under like, the best. Well, I, I know there are some people who like. We're living in an age of like the starter marriage, where people get married like really early on, like just fresh out of college in their twenties. And their marriage falls apart after like maybe three years, mm-hmm. and that's considered kind of common. Yeah, pretty, to, to pretty have normal. A, yeah, have a starter marriage. There's, yeah. I've read a, a report in the LA Weekly back when it was good, all about that. I've so. known people who who got divorced and they were cool with it. They were just like, "This was a bad idea. Yeah. We're, we're not bad people, but we don't get but, along uh, very well." Because and of the that, divorce was actually a very happy occasion for everybody. Yeah, they were be, all like, "Cool well, with be, it." Yeah, because of that, there are such things as divorce parties. Yeah, I've like, been like, to a divorce party. They were fun. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> hey, dump dump the jerk. Let's party. Anyway, um, so Claire is very upset, and they decide mm. that the only thing for it 
is to get married again. How do we do that? We don't know any dead priests. So mm-hmm. what they decide to do is to crash a wedding. Mm-hmm. And just they'll just stand behind the bride and groom, and they'll do everything as the bride and groom is doing it, and it'll be good enough. Mm. It's basically a big gesture. It's make yeah. Claire feel better, because she feels like, you know, she she put a lot of value in their wedding and their marriage, and it mm. meant a lot to her. And to find out it meant less elsewhere sucks. Did you ever see that Hitchcock movie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? That's one I haven't seen. There's only one Alfred Hitchcock movie he did, at least in the sound era, that wasn't like a suspense thriller, and that was Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is about a man and a woman. They've been married for many years, and they're doing okay. They're in love. And then he finds out that through a weird quirk in paperwork, their marriage is not legal. Mm-hmm. Just just a little thing. They just didn't fill out a thing or didn't get submitted right, and they have to do it again. But at the moment, their marriage is not technically legal. Yeah. And he thinks to himself, ooh, so I'm single. <laughs> and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my wife out for a date, and we're going to have premarital sex with our spouses. What <laughs> yeah. he doesn't realize... It's all naughty all of a sudden. It's naughty, yeah. but in a very unnaughty way. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then his wife, unbeknownst to him, also finds out about that. And when she realizes that he's taking her out, and he's hearing her all these wonderful things, he thinks he's going to explain and propose to her again. Okay. When they finally go into the bedroom, and he's just like, ha, 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 he gets kicked the fuck out, and that almost breaks up their marriage. It's a very silly film. It's very mm. funny, and I feel like that's where they were going for here. But they go to the wedding, mm. and they're going to have a really nice uh, uh, marriage, and then when it comes time for the guy to say, well, I do, well, they, he panics. Yeah. <laughs> and it leads yeah. into a big, a big hit, to-do. Hitch, hitchhike on somebody else's marriage, st- stand next to the bride and groom, but it, yeah, it goes awry because that marriage falls apart. Yeah. But I, but I think they say, ah, it's close enough. They're fine. It, it, the gesture was what mattered. Mm. So, in the end, she's fine. Mm. Uh, next up. But, yeah, uh, yeah. because of because I watched them in the order I did, I assumed that was supposed to be the last one to, to air. Yeah. That was going to be the last one. So, there is sort of a little bit of a mini arc between, uh, between the ghosts. And it's hard to say exactly which one was supposed to air first and last. Yeah. Obviously, the pilot was if, first. If but. that one airs last, it makes the most sense because that's the one that has any kind of emotional heft to it whatsoever. Pretty much. So, like, if you do watch this show, and there are reasons to, it's it's kind of cute. Uh, I'm not I'm not as high on it as I no, could be. The theme song. The, well, the theme song is great. Watch but. the theme song over and over again. Don't even watch it over and over again. Watch it once. It'll play in your head over and over again. It's like DuckTales. <laughs> it's not quite as catchy you, as DuckTales. You can sing that theme song. Do you remember anything about that damn show? Do you yeah. like watching that show? Yes. Do you like the characters on that show? Yes. Really? You remember yes, it? I okay. really do. I remember watching the theme song and then, like, turning it off. I didn't care about the show. I cared about the show. Anyway. <laughs> the theme song is the important thing. Anyway, if you watch it, again, it's only six episodes. Watch Altered States last, and it gives you a little bit of a little bit of closure. Mm. Uh, the next episode to air was called TV or Not TV. And in this one, oh, uh, Grant wants to watch Masterpiece Theater. Grandpa wants to watch sports. Can they get along? Also, uh, the teenage son, his grades are slacking, and his parents don't know mm. why, so they revoke everyone's TV privileges mm-hmm. until the kid's grades go up. So the Pritchards have to find a way to take care uh, of the kid. And it's really suspicious, because he's suddenly failing very badly in subjects he previously did very well in. Yeah, like science. So, he was so a really good science something's going student. on. And uh, you know, I, I immediately yelled out first scene, oh, it's a girl. Mm-hmm. He's distracted because he's like looking at a girl, or he's skipping class so he can make out, or something. Yep. And it's turns a bully. Tur- yeah, it turns out it's far more morally complicated than that. It's a bully. 
It's a bully who has been uh, wrangling all of the brains in class to do uh, his homework for him. And evidently has a lot of homework because he's got a lot of kids doing his dirty work. Right. And the bully is played by Robert Jane. Uh, who, you know, you probably don't know his name, but you might recognize him. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was, um, he was the, like, the teenage brat in the Tremors movies. Okay. Especially one and, th- <laughs> uh, one and three in the TV mm. series, which looks like we're reviewing next month on Cancel Too Soon, finally. Um, he was also in, what else was he in? He was in something else that was, like, kind of memorable. Like, he also played, like, a bully or something. I'm looking oh, at really? right now, and it's driving me nuts. But, um, yeah, he's just a, a kid actor who was in mm. a lot of stuff. He was in Different Strokes. And, uh, and they, uh, the ghosts follow him to school. So yeah, they can leave the house. They can go wherever they like to. They he was in Wizards of the Lost Kingdom too. Oh, oh, that classic. That's what he was in. He was the teenage son in Meet the Applegates. Oh, gross. We Meet the that's Applegates. A, that's a sick movie. <laughs> Meet the Applegates is one of the weirdest movies that nobody ever talks about. How is this not a cult film right now? So Meet the Applegates. We have to see this. And Meet the Applegates is the sort of vibe Merely Departed should have gone for. Really? It's, so it came out only one year later. It's it's a yeah typical American sitcom family. It's a feature film, but it's uh-huh. a sitcom family. Dad is Eddie Begley Jr. Mom is Stockard Channing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the gag is the gag is that they're not just a square American family. They're actually giant intelligent insects in disguise. Yeah, it turns out there is a giant race of super intelligent cockroaches that is... They're, they're more like mantises. Yeah, okay, whatever. In any case, they're giant They're giant insects, mm. and they have discovered the ability... They have, they have the ability to basically put on human skins mm. and, like, sneak into and spy on the human race. And they decide to pretend to be the most wholesome, normal family... Ever. There's even a conversation that they have in which the, the whole plan is dad's going to work at a nuclear power plant and then cause it to blow up and then all the humans will die and all the insects will live and that's the big plan. And the dad keeps saying this, the word. This is a real a movie, by the way. Oh, like yeah. a mainstream studio flick. And these are the protagonists, <laughs> by the way. These are not the villains. These are the protagonists. And the dad is the, that's the whole point. And the dad keeps saying, pronouncing the word nuclear. Uh-huh. And the, the kid, played by the, you know, the kid from Nearly Departed, He's saying it's pronounced nuclear. It's like, no, 51% of Americans say, Americans say nuclear, therefore we say nuclear. <laughs> it's like trying to be oppressively normal. And then as they keep trying to be normal, things keep happening that like push them outside the well, norm. And they start they, corrupting their own family and having affairs they, and they, eating people. And They encounter things uh, that are not normal out in the world, and that sort of throws off their ideal. Like, um, so. Yeah, like people who want to have affairs or people who want to commit crimes. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a really bizarre sexual assault scene involving a giant bug. Um, god, the, the 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 scene the scene where the daughter gives birth. Uh, oh god, yeah, it's so gross. <laughs> it's like the fly too. It's so gross. <laughs> it's from the director of Heather's and Hudson Hawk, which tells uh, you everything you need to know. I think you should rewatch that film. I, re- I remember being so grossed out by it when I, I was a kid. I remember being weirdly fascinated by it, even though it was mega gross. Mm. Like, oh god! Seriously, we need to we need to rediscover Meet the Applegates. <laughs> Meet the Applegates are in a, is an important film that we've not discussed enough. And holy shit, um, we're off topic. We're because off topic. Nearly Departed isn't nearly as interesting as Meet the Applegates. No, last um, <laughs> it is. Anyway, not. the ghosts scare the bully. Uh, there's a skeleton in the room. Why they didn't just grab the skeleton and have it start dancing around? Completely, completely well, missed opportunity. No gallows humor, no death humor. Because it's, they're not uh, trying to prove that there's a haunting. They're trying to make it so that it looks like the teenage son is like tougher than he is, I so know. he can beat up the bullet. I, I know, get it, but like it does. But there's like a w- skeleton right there. <laughs> 
Make the school think the bully's crazy. A skeleton attacked me. Yeah, sure, Biff. You know, whatever it is. She's a skeleton. All right. Anyway, we're Ghost on the, and a skeleton. We're on the last two episodes of Nearly Departed. Mm. These did not air on American television. Um, even though, again, the ratings were fine. Like you look at the mm. you look at the ratings. It was it was less than Alf, but it was still like quite good. <laughs> like it's weird that you, they didn't keep mm. going in May, but whatever. Uh, the next episode was Grandpa's Date. Mm. Uh, and this one, the Dooleys decide that Grandpa needs to get out more, and so they decide to hook him up with someone who uh, Papa Dooley, uh, the plumber, like was working for. He like fixer plumbing, hmm. nice old lady, yeah. figures she'd be good for Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is the love matic Grandpa episode, where someone uh, someone yeah. is going on a date, they don't know what to do, and they have outside help, and it is one of the all time most insufferable sitcom plots. Where somebody has to leave the room to keep on asking for advice. Oh, it's uh, now, so awful. To be fair, uh, Anne Haney plays uh, the love interest. Anne Haney, who is and, a legend, she's great. Yeah. I yeah, love Anne and, Haney. And, uh, you might remember her from Mrs. Doubtfire or Liar Liar or The American President. Uh, you, you'd recognize her. She's she's, one, yeah. she, she was just a really reliable character. Mm-hmm. She was in K-9000. Was she? Yeah, I remember in K9000, which we did on the show about the uh, cop and his cyborg That's dog right, partner. She was. If you haven't heard an episode about K9000, yeah, I highly she, recommend it. Yeah, she, she's been, like, she goes way back and mm-hmm. she's just such, so reliable and so funny and just so, so relaxed. So working. Just look at yeah. her IMDb page and it's like she did like dozens of things a year. Like, just yeah, I, really incredible. I, I knew her from. Yeah, from Liar Liar and from Mrs. Doubtfire. And what's but, um, weird is that she, even though she, like, she, she got started like a little later in her life, like her, she's, her first credit was in 1978. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1980s, she was playing like old ladies. Yeah. So just good for her. She, she was on Star Trek. She was on Deep yeah. Space Nine. Yeah. Anyway, she's a badass and it's always, it's always nice to see her. And yeah. Tons of respect for her as an actor. And she's really sweet in this, actually. Like mm-hmm. the actual, like, well, they, if there wasn't all of those really weird pregnant pauses where they have to like just stare at each other over their dinner while the mm. ghosts talk and it makes them look all creepy and se- kind of sad, mm. they'd be cute together. Yeah. But they do, so it's weird. I don't remember anything else about this episode. Uh, well, this was the episode where, and this is why I thought the wedding was such a good ending. This is the one where they say, well, till death do us part and we're dead, so I guess we're not married anymore. Which gives uh, Eric Idle license to just start ogling the women, and mm-hmm. gives Caroline Williams a license to start ogling the hot guys. Which Eric Idle is surprisingly kind of cool with. Yeah. Which I was actually kind of like, I thought it would be one of those things where it's like, it's okay if I do it because I'm the guy. Because mm-hmm. they go to like the bar at the restaurant, and there's like this, you know... This really hot babe and yeah, a Conventionally dress, attractive yeah. woman in a very revealing dress. Mm-hmm. And Eric Idle is just sort of making moon eyes at her, like right up in her face. And then Carolyn McWilliams does that with, like, the two hunky dudes down the bar. Yeah, like, she, like, sidles right up to him and puts and, her body up against him. And, and they're both kind saying, of hey, fine. Hey guys. There's one episode, I'm trying to remember which episode it is, where um, Wendy Shaw, like, walks down the stairs to ask her husband, I bought this oh, new nightgown. So, so shameful. It's really, it's really gross. Like, I bought this new nightgown, I don't know if I like it. And she's mm-hmm. just standing... On, like this proscenium, yeah. and it's a very short, not super revealing, it's, but like a very it's short. Like, it's 90. a sheer teddy, yeah. yeah. And for like several minutes, it's just Stuart Pankin and Eric Idle ogling her and having her like move around and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's frankly, it's insulting and gross. And yeah. then at least when Carol McWilliams shows up, she says this is insulting and gross. You need to stop doing this. But the show didn't. Yeah, the show thought, well, we haven't done much with Wendy Shaw lately. Does anyone want to? 
That, that's and you know what? That's all they do with Wendy Shaw. I know she's such a funny actor. She, she does nothing in this show, she's and the really the only funny. like the only set piece she has is when she walks down the stairs and in. Uh, or she whips off her robe and she's wearing a teddy and that's kind of it. She's hilarious. And you you would think that like the couples, you know, they're trying to be a little bit edgy, not too edgy, right. sitcom edgy, and that the sex lives of the living would come into this. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, what if they roll over and they start doing it? Well, I mean, do you stay in bed as ghosts because you don't care? Do you mention that? Like, make a little dirty joke out of it. It's like, I couldn't sleep last night. They were just having sex next to me all night. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um... No, like they, it, it's one of those shows that's really afraid of sex. I mean, most shows are. Well, but, it was the '80s. They wanted to yeah. titillate without actually getting into the topic, which is so stupid. I hate of course it. Is it's I, immature? I hate sexy minus sexuality, mm-hmm. like or at least sensuality. They're sen- yeah. Those are slightly different things. That was one of the frustrating things about uh, Shadow Hunters when we were talking about it. It's like they're mm. going out of their way to make these characters really, really sexy. Put them but in fetish outfits. Yeah, but and they're, they're and you know they sort of like flirt with each other. But there's no like actual practical practiced sexuality in the show. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of standing there looking really hot, and that's not the same thing. That's why I kind of preferred the movie, the more instruments, because it wasn't afraid to get kind of kinky and weird. A like, little bit. Yeah, well, it still they weren't mm-hmm. all like having sex all over the Even place, but no, they, the, you got the impression that mm. sex was. Happening happening off camera at least yeah, and you don't like get impression in shadow hunters even when um alexandra daddario's brother and magnus bane like finally declared their love for one another it's like was daddario in that Al- alexandra daddario's brother played magnus bane's boyfriend oh i thought you meant alexandra daddario in the show and no no like, her, okay, her actual the, real life the, brother. A- the actress's real huh. life brother played the war played one of the warlocks in that show i actually don't know that um and and yeah, there was this like he was going to get married to a woman, but he was really in love with Magnus Bane. Oh, and, I remember now. Okay, and they yeah. they said, okay, no, no, I can't do this. I have to run to my true beloved. And he runs down the aisle, back down the aisle, down to Magnus Bane. And there's supposed to be this big cathartic kiss moment. It's like, oh, good, they're just going to lip lock. It's going to be great. And you have all of the all of their their romantic and sexual tension will just come out right there in the church. And they like sort of run up to each other. They kind of hold hands, and then they give each other like the most embarrassing little tiny grandpa kisses, like like over and over again. Uh, it's like you are just not going to have any sex in this show. Well, no, it's on freeform. <laughs> come on, freeform! I'm getting sexually frustrated with you. The last episode of Nearly Departed. Uh, it's called Grant's Aunt. And in this one, uh, they find out that Grant's aunt, who actually is about the same age, just because that's, you know... The way it, their family worked out. Well, yeah. it happens. Some people like, have kids at younger ages and older ages. Yeah. I know aunts who are the same age as their nieces and nephews, etc. Um, but it turns out Grant's aunt, who's been off-world traveling, didn't get the memo that Grant died. And so mm. she sends like a message saying that she is coming to visit, and the Dooley's don't have time to tell her otherwise. So she arrives, and it's Eric Idle and Dragon. Because he's from Monty Python, uh, and you're going to do it at least once if he's in uh, your show. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you kind of have to. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's I'm kind silly. Of, I'm kind of surprised they didn't make a dead parrot joke. <sighs> like, we used to have a parrot, but now he's an ex-parrot. Just throw something in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he shows. Uh, Eric Idle shows up in the door. He's in drag. He's uh, um, kind of a Norma Desmond type who's really obsessed with status and a little bit deluded. And, and very and flirty. Also, very flirty, yeah. Kind of a, a female Lothario. And... 
Yeah, wants to get with everybody and talks about all of her conquests. And uh, the big the big plot is she doesn't want to leave until she says goodbye to Grant. They think that means, like, oh, just visit his grave. She's like, no, I want to get a medium in here and have a seance. Mm. Which actually is a good idea. Like, you could, like, Grant this, could actually, this is like... the Halloween episode, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, So, but then what happens is they hold a seance and Grant just tries talking to the medium. The medium is, of course, a fraud. Mm. But instead of using that as an the- opportunity to, like, lift things around and prove he exists... He just shouts some more. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, You've already established you can move things. And, and people, you can push people around. You could write on stuff. Yeah. Like, you, there's a million things. You finally have an excuse. But it's, it's so weird, though, because here we, we're dealing in a world that has the supernatural in it. There are ghosts. Yeah. And the medium comes up and he's a fraud. And when his stuff doesn't work, they just say, uh, like the ghosts, their shoulders are sort of fall. Like, well, I guess there's no afterlife. But... Except for us, I guess. Wait a minute, what's going on here? <laughs> what, what message are you trying to give me? Is there or is there not an afterlife sitcom? Well, again, I, I go to the movie Ghost, which is which is a great screenplay. Like, it's a really smart... It won an Oscar. I think it did, yeah. yeah it was certainly nominated. And um, But one of the cool things was you have Whoopi Goldberg, who can actually communicate with ghosts. Mm. It doesn't come up very often because there aren't ghosts everywhere. <laughs> it's a very rare occurrence to get mm. a ghost. So it's only when she finds... She realizes she has this power. Only then does she mm. start attracting actual ghosts. But she went through. She's like, what was Whoopi Goldberg in like her 30s when that movie was oh, made? At least mid, mid late 30s, yeah. around there. So it took her that long to find out <laughs> that she even had this, just because it didn't come up before. Mm. So yeah, there are still frauds because ghosts are still kind of rare, I guess. Mm. Anyway, there, um, there was a scene in that movie where she uh, she said to Patrick Swayze, "You can take possession of my body, so you can make out with Whoopi Goldberg." There's a queer scene in that movie. No, I mean make out with, uh, with Demi Moore. Or with, or sorry, with Demi Moore. Yeah. There so is. It's there, a very queer scene. There's, there's a scene where, where two women are making out. Just one of them looks like Patrick Swayze. I love that scene. Yeah, that's a really clever scene. That's very. It's really you know, sweet. I, yeah. I I wish the filmmakers were a little bit more daring and had like a few shots of Whoopi Goldberg in there but, instead yeah. of just replacing with Patrick Swayze. Yeah. But it's all it's all there. It's know? all there. Yeah. Anyway, no, that's that's a good movie, dude. Yeah. Um, it gets made fun of a lot because it's got like a few really obvious scenes that are easy to make fun it's, of, like the clay to, pot. It's but, been like, parodied a lot. That's the clay, sure. I think the clay pot scene might have been the undoing of that film, as iconic as it is. It probably well, like, and, was and, a Un- unchained melody as well. It's oh, like it's just o- overused. God damn the fucking righteous brother. <laughs> I need your love. Between ghost and Godspeed your love. Between Ghost and Top Gun, like I've lost all interest in the Righteous Brothers forever. Because <laughs> um, those songs were so overplayed after yeah, those movies came yeah. out. I'm still mad at them. Uh, but I digress. Um, yeah, so eventually uh, Grandpa decides to just say, like, oh, I can talk to the ghosts. And Grant mm. says he loves you. And then he lies about a bunch of stuff that Grant wanted him to say. And no, then the aunt leaves. And that's, she said she'll said she'll come back someday, like season four. And, of course, it never happened. Because <laughs> it was the last episode. And, that's, and that mm. is Nearly Departed. Nearly. Now... Uh, special shout out to my wife. Uh, this is a birthday gift. Uh, she had a birthday recently, and she, I asked her to select one of our shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a gift, I gave this to I gave Nearly Departed to her. She remembers watching maybe an episode or two when she was little, yeah. when she was younger, in, in the late 80s. And How did it hold up? Uh, well, she didn't remember a lot of the show. Like DuckTales, she remembered the theme song. And the theme song had been kicking, in her, kicking around in her head for 30 years. <laughs> so it's like, you gotta do this show. You gotta exercise the nearly departed theme song out of my head. So we dug it up. Now we've delved through. Let's hope she can move on. <laughs> but did she enjoy the show? Uh, she watched some of it. No, it's not funny. It's not particularly funny. We, we were you know, griping about it, thinking, yeah, this this came at a time when this type of sitcom wasn't in vogue any longer. 
and it needed a lot more gallows humor. It needed a lot more darkness. It needed needed cynicism. It needed a, a completely different tone. That's the thing. It's trying so hard to be bland and inoffensive that mm. they're missing the fact that the premise is not bland or inoffensive. The yeah. premise is a little daring, well, a little shocking, and it really you could have done so mm. much more with it. You, you look at something like Alf. Alf has pretty typical sitcom plots, mm. but Alf is such a strange thing. Yeah, it's it's played by a puppet, so it's visually it's very strange. It's also a weird looking. Puppet. Puppet. Yep. Um, it, it's alien mythos is completely off the wall. It comes from a planet named Melmac, and it eats cats. And uh, it's color commentary is so removed from the family that you can kind of see that there is a, a different to- different tone to something like Alf, even if it is a typical sitcom. Right. You compare that to something like Small Wonder, which was contemporary. It's about a typical American family. A typical white American family living in the suburbs, and they have a robot. Mm. The daughter is is an android that the the dad built. Right, super surreal, it, and that's, very surreal. That's a, it's a, well, it's surreal when we look at it now. At no, the time, even at the just, time it was yeah. weird. No, I'm sorry. I was a kid when that came out. Mm. I knew that was weird. Okay, <laughs> like Mr. Belvedere, I could accept. That was like they have a butler, and they probably shouldn't. They, but they, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Typical white American family inherits a butler, and that's yeah. a, a culture clash. It, it's it's fine. It's mm. now I realize that it's all a takeoff of um, what was that Charles Lawton movie we just watched? Ruggles of Red. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Now I realize it's all a takeoff of that. But whatever, it was it was fine. Mr. Belvedere's okay. Mm. Small Wonder was surreal and weird even when it was on. I'm going to stand by that. Small Wonder at least did, like, one weird android thing per episode. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, the, the android was named Vicky, and Vicky jumped into water to save somebody, but Vicky can't swim because she's made of metal. Yeah. So they have to fish her out, and they have to do these weird android things to get, like, steam to come out of her. And, exactly. And there's at least, like, one weird special effect. Or she's looking for something on a top shelf, so she extends her neck, and it's a really bad special effect. Nearly Departed... Has no special effects. It's weird, right? It's a supernatural show. I understand, you know, you're probably not trying to roll with the supernatural elements. That's your mistake there. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't afford a special effect, but you can do some stupid wavy video toaster thing where somebody passes through a wall. The only special effect they did was having two Eric Idols on the screen at the same time. Which was pretty convincing. Yeah. I bought it. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the seams even. It was pretty good. Those old Betamax were great for that kind of effect. So I I saw... um, the BBC production of uh, uh, Comedy of Errors, oh. the, the one with the two sets of identical twins. Yeah. Roger Daltry, Daltry played the two Dromeos. <laughs> so there's a few scenes where there's two Roger Daltry. Daltry? Yeah, it's a little weird, right? It's really weird. Yeah, but so there's still scene, uh, a couple scenes with two Roger Daltrys, and was they're he, seamless. Was he good? Yeah, he's actually quite good. Okay, I mean, I, I got nothing against Roger Daltrey as an actor. It's just always kind of weird for me to see him as an actor. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> for a long time in my head, I thought Roger Daltrey was Doctor Who in that one American TV movie with Paul McGann. I, I can see that. Yeah, they look, they look yeah. kind of similar. Like, they, they can play brothers. Mm. Uh, for me, looking at Nearly Departed, first off, it's it's just not that funny. Like, that's... No. The, there's, a, there's, like, usually, like, one good laugh line or one good bit per episode, usually mm. because of Eric Idle, because he's just that funny. Mm. But I was trying to think of, like, what's the problem here? And I th- you're onto something there, but I think the real problem for me, and I think it's, um... I think it's the creative decision... To have the grandpa be the one who can see the ghosts. And not the teenage son? Not the teenage or son the or the wife. Or the wife, okay. I think that's the issue. Because when you're dealing with... There's this whole brand of sitcom about how behind your your neighbors in suburbia, we're assuming everyone in the audience is a white suburbanite, mm-hmm. which is, of course, offensive. But uh, whatever. They assume you're related to this. And everyone has like something secret going on in their house. And for mm-hmm. a long time, I had this idea I wanted to do like... 
a TV show where it's about like you know a one street in suburbia where in every house someone has one magical thing that they're keeping from everyone else. Right. So there's a my mother the car, there's uh, a Mr. Ed, there's a bewitched whatever, and they're all living next to each other and no one knows. But all of those shows, all the classic shows and even some of the not so classic shows. The magical element, the fantastical realism of mm-hmm. it, represents an inner world that we're not seeing. Right. So, like, in Bewitched, the wife has all the power. Mm-hmm. That was a bit subversive when Bewitched was on the air. And, it, you know, she didn't just have the power, like, in the relationship. She was a magical being who had the power of a god. Mm-hmm. And living within the 1960s social paradigm required her to basically stay in the closet. There's there's subtext there. I'm not saying the show always made the most out of it, but mm-hmm. that's the basic premise, and I think that's why people connected to it, even though it was weird. Yeah. You know, Mr. Ed or my mother the car, guys have shit in their garage that mean the world to them, and mm-hmm. that's their own fantasy land, whatever, and like that's something that a lot of guys can relate to. My dad had his garage full of motorcycles. If one of those motorcycles could talk, he would have been in heaven. <laughs> With Nearly Departed... I don't see the secret world of the oh, elderly. Here, here's here's the... I, se- oh, well, that's true. I, I feel like if you have the secret world of the teenager who's got, like, imaginary... Or the kid who has imaginary friends, mm. you can do something with that. If you have the secret world of the housewife, because I don't think the mom works in the Dooley family, mm. and you could see her, like, communicating with, like, the previous residents of the house, like, burnt offerings but not creepy, <laughs> you have something there. When it's just the grandpa and he's... There's no magic in him for it. It's just kind of boring to him, and he doesn't have to keep a lot of secrets. Well, it here, doesn't make the most of the concept. I want perspective here. Whose perspective I, I is I this from? Well, I don't think this is a, a, a like a peek into a secret world, like something like My Mother the Car, which was also, by the way, a, a, a Freudian analogy for a relationship with his actual mother. True. Um, sees mom as objects, etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, can't get over her even after she's dead. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. Uh this is more of a, a very obviously a class story. It's about a blue collar family clashing with the sensibilities of an upper class family, right. and how they can't really blend with one another, and that they're divided by this uh, wall where one can literally not even see the other one. Um, Shit, you're right. Um, Maybe it should be the husband because he's the one who's trying to like elevate his status. Yeah, yeah. He's okay, the one who's re- he's the one who's really concerned with his class. So it makes sense that he can see sort of his aspirational figure. He's constantly and his aspirational figures hate him. He's constantly competing mm-hmm. with the previous family who owned this place, who mm-hmm. naturally fit into a world in which he doesn't feel welcome, but wants to be a part. Exactly. You're right. That makes exactly. a lot of sense. Yeah. And that honestly, Stuart Bankin's a great actor. He could have done it. He could have yeah. done it. He would have been really funny. Stuart Pankin, again, he's asked to play just sort of a typical boob. He just does. He's good at it. He's fine. Yeah, no, he's I, fine at it. He does. He does the job. But, I like yeah. that he gets to be sexy. Like his wife finds him attractive, even though mm-hmm. he's very schlubby in his yeah, kind perception. Of a, you know, just a normal looking dude. Good, good looking guy, a little rotund, but yeah. yeah. No, there's nothing he wrong look, with him. He looks he's fine. Just yeah. Not not a standard Hollywood hunk. I guess so. You know, Benny stretch the imagination. So. Especially not a sitcom brand hunk. Definitely those, not. Those guys were hideous. But I, I, <laughs> I like that he's got like a wife who's really into him and they love each other and everything mm. like that. And it's not like oftentimes with these sitcoms where like a normal looking guy is married to a conventionally attractive woman. That's the joke. Yeah. That's actually not okay. the joke here. Got your kings of queens and your family guys. Family guy, yeah. It's actually not the joke here. Mm. I actually appreciate that. Like they're, that's just, that's they're, just, they're just married. And they're that's just happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Cool. Mm. Yeah, but you're right. It, so, it, yeah, there, there, there's so yeah, there's definitely a, a sort of class dichotomy going on here. That's that's the only real theme of this show, and they don't really roll with it. Maybe the show just didn't last long enough. Yeah, I mean, the show could have found its way. I yeah. honestly don't think there's anything like the cast is solid. The premise needs 
development, but that's the sort of thing you could do in the middle of the show. Like this show hmm. could find its legs, well, like it, in, in season two. Well, like, or just, yeah, partway or even at the end of the first season, they introduce sort of this this interesting wrinkle about the mechanics of the ghost world. I still think they need a yeah. friend. A, a, friend, yeah, a, friend, a ghost a friend, friend or, loves being a ghost or whatever mm-hmm. or something. Somebody who's been a ghost longer than they have. Mm-hmm. Al Capone's a really funny idea. <laughs> um, uh, Al Capone or even somebody like even more impossibly ancient. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like like Cleopatra shows up and she's How just she hanging out. Chicago? <laughs> she, can, she can get around. Her, her barge came with her. <laughs> she just sailed across the Atlantic. When the, when the tomb came, I came with it. There you go. And I got knocked over in Chicago and nobody talked about it. Yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> it's stupid. It's, it's completely dumb, but whatever. <laughs> it's what sitcom writing is about. Come up with a dumb excuse. Um, if Nearly Departed had lasted 100 episodes, frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised. Even in its current state, which is a little underdeveloped and not particularly funny. Mm. I've there, seen unfunnier shows last longer. I've seen as good or worse shows with way longer runs, mm. with more of a cult mm. uh, uh, after them. It, I, I actually still don't think this one was canceled too soon. I think this is uh, it's right on the cusp where mm. like I can see the potential, but I just don't think it's good enough. And I think it's better to free everyone else to do other things. Mm. But uh, it's I could see it. I could see it working. And this just isn't it. And if you want to keep playing with the old topper theme, mm-hmm. do yeah. it can work. Well, it's just this isn't the, the, the alchemy is a little off here. You didn't yeah. turn uh, lead into gold. You turned like little... lead into like boron or something. I don't know. <laughs> boron is a word for it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a, a pretty bland show. Um Eric Idle is the one lending the most flavor to this. Oh, yeah. The whole cast is, is pretty good. I mean, they, they are capable of much more than this, all of them. But, but they gave the heavy they, lifting to Eric Idle. They gave the heavy lifting to Eric Idle. It's his show. Uh, I think he is also one of the, the executive producers. He clearly wrote the theme song. <laughs> and watching Eric Idle sort of do his shtick does come with it a certain pleasure. I'm glad Eric Idle was doing something. And an American sitcom is an interesting place for Eric Idle to go. Eric Idle is not listed in the producing credits. Oh, he's not? Okay. No. I apologize. Yeah, it feels like it would be, though, because it's, yeah. it's a star vehicle. Mm-hmm. Like, nowadays, he would be just as a matter of course, even if he didn't do anything. He would just get the credit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this this is the Eric Idle show. I like that Eric Idle's on an American sitcom. It's frustrating that it's not funnier. Um, mm-hmm. The only reason I enjoyed watching it was, frankly, because of him. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the cast was fine, but he's the only one who's, like, doing anything. Like, I, so. like, I like seeing them all. Again, mm. I'm a big fan. of I, Carolyn McWilliams is someone who I hadn't seen a lot of before. She's delightful. She's, yeah, she's delightful. Stuart she's, Pankin is delightful. They're all they're all good. Uh, Wendy Shaw is just. I, well, Wendy Shaw doesn't do anything on this. show. I recently but, watched The Burbs for like the first time in years. Oh. First off, that movie is perfect. <laughs> that movie is perfect. Uh, Everything about that movie works. It's incredible to me that it isn't a bigger cult film than it is right now. Mm. Uh, just just the music alone, Jerry Goldsmith's score in that uh-huh. is brilliant <laughs> a brilliant motion picture score like oh my god everything about it is hilarious and when Michelle's hilarious in it it was nice to see her mm-hmm. in a sitcom like again like right after i saw the burbs because i just know how funny she is and it's a shame she doesn't get to do more here oh, that's too bad yeah anyway uh that i guess is well, well, nearly it, departed well, was, was, think, was it was it canceled too soon i i say i say no i say this was a, a fun blip um mm-hmm. I'm on the cusp. I do think the potential is there, but frankly, it's yeah, I'm, just not quite there. I'm also on the cusp because I know if I had run into this in the late 80s, I probably would have watched it. Yeah. I probably would have thought that was a good show because 
I was a kid. And I, yeah. I, that was where my taste was running at the time. I did watch Small Wonder. I did watch Different Strokes. So that was my jam growing yeah. up. And, and of course, I'm, I'm of course on this show and just in general, we've seen worse. That, that this Way is true. Well, I've I've come to sour so violently about about sitcoms in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, just their setup, the the obviousness of the jokes, the the blankness of the characters. It's rare that you will find a really interesting sitcom. When we saw Elvira, it's like, <sighs> oh, thank fuck, somebody's doing it right for one oh one episode. <laughs> if you want to screw you, the world. I'm going to tell you this right now, audience. If you're relatively new to the show and you weren't around for last year's October offerings when we reviewed the failed sitcom pilot for a show starring Elvira uh-huh. called The Elvira Show, uh, whether you listen to our episode or not, watch, watch that the show. The Elvira Show because it's bloody hilarious. The Elvira Show is probably the funniest thing we've run into Mm. there are better shows perhaps but in terms of just pure gut busting wall to wall (laughs) comedy the Elvira show is a thigh slapper and it is great it is wonderful I'm not exaggerating it might be one of the funniest if not the single funniest sitcom I've ever seen certainly pilot Uh, episodes just on the maybe so because a lot of you know even the Simpsons Mm. didn't start out great it started out promising Mm. but the first episode of the Simpsons is just kind of okay the Elvira Show, first episode and Out only episode, brilliant. Way too risque for network TV, as it ought to be. Yeah, um, that's what they, I think it's the only yeah, reason so, why it got canceled. So I think if I had the same standards I had in 1989 that I do now, then then I would have said uh, yes, it was canceled too soon. Right now, I'm not enjoying watching it. Yeah. I think it's kind of bland. Mm. Eric Idle can do better than this. Yeah. He needs a different project to work on, so I'm going to say no. Yeah, it's 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 on the cusp, but mm. no, this this one was not canceled too soon. Uh, however, mm. uh, we are about to enter into one of my favorite phases of the podcast because your, your made up Halloween pun that you'd never run by me. Ghastly Tober <laughs> is beginning. It's taking over from Scary Tober, which yeah. Whitney hated so much that I decided to replace it with Ghastly Tober. You, you spring these on me. Yes. Like in the middle of an episode, you just say, oh, and by the way, next week is Ghastly Tober. Wait, what? <laughs> well, we talked about the shows we're going to do, but what, what are you talking about? You didn't, I didn't agree on Ghastly Tober. <laughs> next time, bring it up. <laughs> uh, Ghastly Tober begins, and uh, every single episode uh, in October from Cancel Too Soon is horror related in some way. And that, that, we're going to do like horror anthologies, oh. horror dramas, etc. And uh, every single episode in October was curated by our Patreon subscribers. Mm-hmm. So if you go to patreon.com slash critic acclaim, mm-hmm. which is the banner under which all of our shows are, are about to belong because we're moving. Uh, this podcast is going to change its name. Uh, the, po- well, the, ne- the network will change its name. The podcast is going to become more of a feed than uh-huh. a dedicated cancel too soon podcast. Uh, you'll still get canceled too soon, but it's also where we're going to have our movie review show critically acclaimed. So you'll get, you'll get them both in the same feed. If you can't get enough of us, you're about to get more. All right. But if you only want to cancel too soon, you'll get those two. You just don't listen to the other one. Um, but uh, if you go to patreon.com slash critic acclaim, you get to vote for future episodes mm-hmm. of cancel too soon. You get bonus content, uh, content. You get uh, bonus podcasts like all our yesterdays where Whitney and I review every single Star Trek episode ever. Only the best, where uh, we review every single nominee for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. We're literally about to record a new episode of that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have commentary tracks. We just did one from My Little Pony, Equestria Girls, Rainbow Rocks. And then next month, we're doing Jupiter Ascending. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Google Hangouts, which we're about to have one tomorrow. 
That's right. Uh, so uh, there's a ton of stuff over there, and we hope you check it out. Uh, but I want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers for curating the next month worth of content. And we're going to start off with uh, one of our favorite genres of television series, the horror anthology. <laughs> horror anthologies are great. Because every episode is its own story. Every episode is a new sort of discovery in and of itself. The episodes don't blur together the way they sometimes do with other TV shows, which are get a little samey after a while. They get a lot of different disparate talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, famous filmmakers, actors who would become famous or are coming off of their acclaim. Uh, and uh, we are going to start with a show I'm so glad you voted for because I've been wanting to get to this one for a while. <laughs> it's called Mistress of Suspense. And uh, every single episode of Mistress of Suspense is presented by the great Anthony Perkins mm-hmm. and is adapted from a story by Patricia Highsmith, the author of Strangers on a Train and the talented Mr. Ripley. And she also wrote, uh, this isn't a suspense story, she also wrote the uh, a wonderful and acclaimed uh, drama Carol, which was based off oh, of a right. story yeah. called The Price of Pearls, something like that. Yeah. Um, Pearl, pearls Before Bacon? I forgot no, what it was. Uh, but yeah, this is this is an all-star British anthology series. A lot of famous people are in it, and um, I've been wanting to get to it for a while. I'm super excited to get to it, and we will be reviewing that next week. And uh, stick around, because uh, we have a failed pilot starring Eddie Izzard uh, coming up. <laughs> uh, what else do we have uh, on the docket? It looks like we might be doing the uh, reboot of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Last the, I checked the bowl. We, we've done the original Kolchak the Night Stalker. We're going to be doing the the Redux. Yeah, and uh, we'll be Try doing again. one of one, one of one of our polls was. It turns out there are a whole bunch of failed TV shows based on Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. We're mm. doing one of those. Uh, so it's going to be a really fun month, and I can't wait to get to it. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, every one of our Patreon uh, subscribers for helping us curate the next month of content, and of course for helping the show keep going. We literally couldn't do it without you. Um, so you mean the world to us and for everyone who can't afford to join the Patreon we understand completely just thanks for listening share it with a friend tell mm-hmm. people uh, that we exist that would help <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter we're at Cancelled Cast we're also at Critic Acclaim uh, at some point we might make a decision about perpetuating only one of those since we're all under one banner now yeah, but yeah. for now we'll keep them both alive and uh, I'm on Twitter at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold and uh, that's a wrap we'll see you next season Thank you.